Hmm. Thank you. That's my secretary. We are in John 14, and uh, we left off right around verse. Uh, I'm sorry, we're in John 15. What am I talking about? John 15, and we left off right around verse 14. So this is the night before Jesus is uh, going to be arrested and go to trial and all of that. He will be um, dead within probably about 15 hours from where this is uh, taking place. They are in the upper room as they've been talking. Jesus has been comforting them. Should be the other way around, but he's comforting them. And they, most scholars think that they left the upper room at the end of chapter 14. Look at the last sentence of the last verse of chapter 14. It kind of sounds like they're leaving the upper room, but he's teaching them as they're walking. He gives this discussion in chapter 15 about him being the vine, the true vine, and them being the branches. We talked about that last week. If they walked toward the temple and near it, they would have seen uh, the, the front of the temple above the doors, a giant golden vine that represented Israel and also the Messiah. And he's saying to them, maybe as they're walking by that, I'm that, I'm the true vine and you are the branches connect, connected to me kind of thing. So um, he talked a lot about fruit in that early part of chapter 15, and he's told them to love in a specific way, the way that he loved them. That's the high standard that we, not just the 11 of them, but we are expected to love. They don't deserve his love, and he loves them anyway. They're all going to desert him. Peter's going to deny him. He loves them anyway. So we don't love on the basis of, well, she's lovable, but he's not. We love everybody uh, because he first loved us. So, um, and he also said that great uh, sentence about greater love has no man uh, than the lay down his life for his friends. Um, so he's going to give them a, a heads up about the persecution they can expect um, from the world and We'll also get some lessons on the Holy Spirit. So I know you're awake. Say amen. amen. Good one. All right. And those of you on Zoom, wave or say amen. I can see your mouths moving. Oh, look at Diane and, and Bob. Nice to see you guys. Okay. Uh, chapter 15, picking it up in verse. Uh, yeah, there it is. Verse 13 is greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what he did for you and me. And we are to live those kind of self-sacrificing lives that consider others more important than ourselves. But let's dive in in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, it's an interesting verse, isn't it? I, it some, some of us may wish it just said, you are my friends, period. No strings attached. No matter what you do, you're my friends. There's an if clause there. If you obey my commands, there's a very close tie between obedience and being the friend of God. Now, that term, the friend of God, appears only two times in the Old Testament. God called two men the friend of God. One was Abraham. The other one was Moses. Interestingly, they obeyed God. So they obeyed his commands. But interestingly, what's going to follow here is Jesus is going to tell them about the future. 
his plans, God's plans, the future, future short-term and really long-term, the end of the world. In the same way, when God called Moses and uh, Abraham, the friend of God, his friend, he gave each of them prophetic looks into the future and hints about the future for Israel and the coming Messiah. So there is a really close connection between being a friend of God and being loyal to the point of abiding in him, obeying him. Um, we are called uh, servants of the Most High or servants of God. Verse 15 has the word servants there. That's the word doulos. And for Western minds, we like the word servants a lot better than the real translation of doulos is slaves. We have such a bad connotation of slaves being whipped in the South in the 1800s. And wait, we're slaves? We have to get out of that mindset and understand that in that culture, a wealthy human being would have people that worked for him that were not whipped and mistreated. Many were like family members. Many slaves were in debt, and so they were sold into slavery, and someone bought them, and it was a roof over their house and food for them and their family, and um, eventually some slaves had paid off their debt and were free to go and told their master, no, I'd rather stay and work for you if I could, you know, and so we, we like to think that, well, that impudes, uh, that, that, uh, that um, cuts in on our freedom. Listen, if we are completely free to do what we want, it's not good, right? Because we have, we're SIN positive, right? Since Adam and Eve, we are going to sin. We're going to disobey God. It's better to be a slave of Jesus than a slave of the devil, which is what the Bible says we were before we came to Christ. So a doulos, a good servant or a slave, obeys his master, but he's not just calling us ser uh, servants or slaves. Look at 14 again. You're my friends. This is the third time in the Bible he calls people his friends. He doesn't mean just the eleven. Primarily he does, but he means you and me as well, where God is our shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He is uh, our light. He is our father. Each of those imply a certain relationship. He's our vine. We're the branches. We have to be connected to him. But here we are called the friend of God. The idea is this, or the friend of Christ. The idea is this, listen, a slave the master had no obligation to tell the slave, here's the plan we have for the vineyard and the farm. Next year, we hope to do this. It was just, they would give orders. That was it. To bring them in and include them in the plans of the future showed that they were his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do in this passage. He's going to tell us about the future. In the Old Testament, he, there was a saying that appears again and again and again. God says, my servants, the prophets, okay? His servants, but only two men he called friends. So this is a huge privilege to be called God's friend. Pretty cool. Rabbis, which Jesus was, teacher is what it means, and disciples were usually just that. I'm the rabbi, you're the disciple or student. We're not friends. There's a hierarchy. Jesus calls them his 
friends. Yes, he's a teacher. Yes, he's God in human flesh. It's a pretty amazing thing. If there was no sacrifice for sin coming in less than a day, he, we could never be his friends because the sin thing would separate us from the holy Jesus and a holy God, if you will. Um, a friend of the king could knock on the door and come in at any time. You or I, if we were just subjects of the king, we couldn't expect to get a meeting with the king anytime. Um, verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master, what his master is doing or his master's business. That's the idea of letting us in on this is the plan, guys. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have told you, I've made known to you. So he's let them in on everything the father told him to tell them. So it's a very, very close relationship, he's saying. Keep in mind, these guys are not that good of friends, right? They're all going to desert him. They're going to doubt. They're going to wimp out. We don't know how many of them made it to the crucifixion. The one we know was there was John, right? Because Jesus talks to him from the cross, behold, Mother, behold your son, son, behold, John, behold your mother. Remember that? We don't know if the others are watching from a distance or cowering in fear upstairs in the upper room or under a tree somewhere, but they weren't that great of friends. That's encouraging to me because uh, I'm not that great of a disciple. Um, he still calls me his friend. Um, everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Verse 15, uh, 16. Um, oh, by the way, he made that known to them so that they could write it down eventually. He's going to talk about that. The Holy Spirit's going to help them remember, and they're going to write it down. What does that mean? It means this. He's going to give them the work he was doing via what he tells them and what the Holy Spirit helps them to remember. So that it makes incorrect. If you've ever heard people say this, you ever read the Bible? Um, I like Jesus. I like what he says. I, I don't like Paul and, and what Peter says and some of those other books. And the, Listen, they are just as much authoritative. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, whether it comes from the mouth of Jesus or from Luke or from Paul or whomever. So uh, verse 16, uh, well, 15. So that's that intimate relationship. You, you get to know the master's business, friends. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts or as abiding. And so that, uh, and, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. Okay. Let's talk about verse 16. First of all, you did not choose me. I have a feeling they kind of thought they chose him. They went religion hunting, you know, and I th are you going to follow him? Yeah. I think I'm going to choose him. People think the same thing. I searched. I chose Jesus. Okay. Keep your finger here and go to John 6. I hate to beat this dead horse, but it's important. What I want you to know is that you didn't choose Jesus. It may feel like you did. I'm going to show you that Jesus chose you, that God chose you. Um, there are a certain number of people that God the Father listen, gives to the son. Look at John 6, 37. All that the father gives me 
that's all the people that he intends to save, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Look at John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless. That alone ought to make you realize you didn't choose Jesus. Because there's a qualifier. What has to happen first, John, Jesus? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. What does that mean? It means just this, that when you thought you were investigating Jesus and kind of getting interested and starting to come to church and Bible study on Zoom or in person, that, that actually the Holy Spirit invisibly was drawing you and making the word come alive. And he chooses us. We could go to Ephesians 1, which is all about God predestining us, choosing us. I know some people don't like this doctrine. I didn't make it up. Your quarrel's not with me. Jesus says to the disciples that he chose them. The normal way things worked with a rabbi teacher and disciples was that the disciples would choose a rabbi. That was the way it usually worked. Not so with Jesus. Do you remember? He goes around to each one of them and says what? Hey, Peter, follow me. Remember? And we read that in the gospel of Matthew, I think it is. And, and he just drops his nets and follows him. And you think, wow, first time they met. It wasn't the first time they met. Peter's heard him speak. Peter's heard some miracles, seen some miracles, heard about some other miracles. Holy Spirit might've been working on Peter for five years. And all of a sudden Jesus says, follow me. And Peter knows I, I got to do it. It's, it's irresistibly happening to me. Pretty amazing thing. You did not choo choose me, verse 16, but I chose you. It, it's not a period there. It keeps going. And what's the point, Jesus? I appointed you that you might go. That's important. Doesn't mean stay home. It means go. Go out into the world, maybe just into your town, maybe into your state, maybe into another country, but go everywhere you go and bear fruit. Now, we talked about fruit being, number one, a righteous life, being obedient and all of that. That's bearing fruit. In this context, going and bearing fruit is, sounds a lot like Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's fruit. If you're witnessing to your neighbor about Jesus and she or he wants nothing to do with it, but eventually you start seeing he's interested now. Now he's coming to church or Bible study. Now he's a, he's a believer. That's awesome. Just realize that's fruit, which is awesome. And actually, you didn't do it. Well, I did do it. I know. But behind the scenes, the same way he was tugging at your shirt, he was tugging at that guy's shirt, right? The problem is we don't know who the next person that's going to get saved is. Doesn't have, they don't have a tattoo on their forehead that says, I'm next, witness to me. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, look, the glowing... I'm going to talk to that guy or that woman. We don't know. So you know what? We scatter seeds out, let God sort it out, live the life that he wants us to live. That's the fruit. Notice the next thing, that you might go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit, Jesus, verse 16, fruit that will last, abide, that will stand the test of time. What does that mean? We've all done things where it bore some fruit for a little while, and then it didn't, right? a job that didn't work out or a business we had, and it just didn't work out eventually. Fruit that God gives you when you're attached to the vine as a branch is fruit that will last 
forever. As a matter of fact, the fruit analogy is a good one. And here's why. If there is a um, vine that has a branch that's producing grapes, okay? Forget seedless grapes for now, or my analogy won't work. Regular old grapes with the seeds that nobody seems to like, but they're very good for you. Anyway, grapes with seeds. Here's a grape with seeds. Well, that's great. That's fruit. The weird thing is those seeds, if they fall to the ground and have some soil over them, guess what happens? You could have a whole new grapevine that would grow from seeds that produce other fruit that produces other fruit. In other words, that's what we're supposed to be because somebody witnessed to you, maybe it was your parents, your friend, your roommate, and me, and that's why we're here. Two people in my high school, um, Gail Schlegel, a woman in my speech class, and Steve Murray, a friend of mine, witnessed to me about Jesus. And I was a little resistant, but listened, and yeah, and I'm in contact with them, and Gail is often on the Bible study now on Zoom, um, lives just north of Monterey. That's what happens. And now we're supposed to bear more fruit. That's the point of that verse anyway. Fruit that will last and... So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Again, this is another one of those things. At first glance, it sounds like a blank check, whatever you ask. But it's in my name. In other words, in the, in the course of bearing fruit and witnessing, when you ask God for something, according to his will, 1 John 5 says, he hears us. So... If you ask him for things that are outside of his will, that means the answer will be no, right? So that's yes and no. That's the only two answers to prayer. No, there's a third answer. I believe this is the hardest one. We've all experienced this, haven't we? Wait. Yes, no, wait. Usually wait is the answer I get. You say, why does he make it so hard? Listen, that's the way our faith grows. The ability to pray and wait and go, I gave it to him. I'm leaving it there. He's going to do the best thing, right? Hard sometimes, though. Um, let's see. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Notice that you pray in the name of Jesus to the Father. You could add in the power of the Holy Spirit, who also intercedes for us. Verse 17. This is my command. Love each other love one another what's he talking about he's talking about within the christian community we need to be loving especially for these 11 who the same night don't forget he washed their feet remember that right before that they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest there's great competition and heads butting heads in the 11 guys they're strong-willed some of them more than others um, they come from different backgrounds, and it's human nature to want a hierarchy. Well, he's better than he is, but she's better than she is. Jesus doesn't want any of that. We need to love one another. What comes right after this is the reason, especially why we need to love one another. What's that? Because we're behind enemy lines, and the world's going to hate you, and the world's going to persecute you, and the last thing you need is to be infighting on the same team right? You watch uh, sports, sometimes team A is beating team B, and there's a fight between a member of each team, right? But it's very rare you see team A 
two members of the same team are fighting each other. He's saying, you guys have to love each other. It's something that gets repeated four or five times in this several chapters of John. Love each other. We, I'm fond of saying it. I won't make a big, long thing of it. Love's not an emotion because you can't command an emotion. It's a verb. It's just something you do. Just do it. Love the person. Care for them. Bear their burdens. Help them out. Be there for them. Uh, overlook their sin and what have you. Love each other. Um, I was going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe we'll do that later as time permits. But that is a key thing. Um, earlier, he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that the distinguishing factor that you love one another. See how they love each other, these Christians. We need to be interconnected in order to do that. That's why you hear me preaching, come to church, don't watch on TV, unless you're ill, unless you live a thousand miles away. If you can make it, come to Bible study, come to church. Uh, very, very important. So uh, he's setting the stage for all this talk about the world's going to hate you. So you guys have to be present a united front. We said last week or the week before, I can't remember which, that love is the key to understanding the Ten Commandments. You say, how's that again? Listen, four of the 10 commandments are vertical. Did you know that? They have to do with a person and God, vertical, going up. The other six are horizontal. They have to do with a person and the way they are to think about and treat their fellow humans and stuff around them, horizontal. You with me so far? But all 10 of them have love behind them because it's God, um, Ask, telling you not to touch things that are only going to harm you. It's the mommy telling the little three-year-old, don't touch the hot stove, honey, right? The little three-year-old thinks, oh, you try to ruin all my fun, and they burn their hand and cry. It's God preventing you and I from hurting ourselves and others. But the things he tells us to do positively are all for our own good. It's all love, all Ten Commandments. Hence the connection, we already saw it. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. May I bring it full circle and say, if you love me, you'll keep my commands because love is behind all the commands I give you. I'm not just commanding things for the heck of it. I'm doing it for your own good. So we obey because it shows our love and we understand why he commands anything at all. Uh, we already talked about that. Remember, Jesus is asked in the gospels, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? They mean pick one of the 10. Do you remember that? And he goes back to the Old Testament and he says there's two. And he says, number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's vertical, right? The other one he chooses is not from the 10 commandments, but it's in the Old Testament over and over, which is love your neighbor as yourself. There's the horizontal. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love your neighbor the way you love yourself, we can throw out all the commandments because you're not going to steal. You're not going to lust. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to lie. You're not going to have other idols toward God. You're going to obey. The 10 commandments are Jesus boils down to love God, love your fellow man. Okay. So he's going to give us five characteristics or already already has actually of real love. Number one, it's sacrificial, going back to verse 13, laying down your life for somebody. 
Number two, um, real love is um, shown in obedience. We already talked about that. Number three, it communicates uh, truth. He told them all that the father uh, asked them to asked him to tell them. Um, let's see. Um, it's also uh, real love. This is a good one. Takes the initiative. What do you mean? I, you did not choose me. I chose you. If you wait till someone, uh, and I've got love to give, but I'm going to wait until let's see how they treat me. Make the first move. Jesus made the first move in your relationship with him, whether you know it or not. You be the one that makes the first move. Even if they're ignoring you, if they're kind of mean to you, make the first move and love other people. Uh, so it takes the initiative. It always bears fruit with an abiding result. Real love does. Okay. Verse 18. That was the good news. Love one another. I call you friends. Bear fruit. Here comes the bad news. Verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Now, they have not experienced this that much yet. Um, he's going to say that in a second. The reason is the world is showing their hatred toward Jesus, right? The Pharisees are always putting him down and arguing with him. They pretty much, the Pharisees, if you notice, leave John, Peter, Andrew, and Bartholomew alone, right? But when Jesus is gone, and they're the ones taking the ball and running with it because of the Holy Spirit, he's telling them, you better expect major hatred. It's going to shock you because you're, you don't hate them. You're being loving to them. The world is going to hate you. Okay. The world is cosmos in Greek. It doesn't mean the planet. It doesn't mean all the people. It means the unsaved system on planet earth, the governments generally not Christian or godly, the general unsaved people will hate, uh, Christianity and hate Christians. I've said before to you that when you come to faith in Jesus, Satan paints a bullseye on your back. I know that's uncomfortable for some, and you'd rather not have it. Well, then just renounce Jesus. Good luck to you, right? I'd rather live my life knowing that he's greater than Satan, but the world does not like Christianity. If you don't believe me, look at um, popular movies and the way they portray the phony, uh, fake Christian, you know, leader, religious leader. If the world hates you, the reason is it hated me first, he says. And so since we are master and servant or master and slave, if the master's getting it, who's totally perfect, and there's no reason to hate Jesus, we're about to hear that, there is a reason to hate me because I'm a sinner still, and there's imperfections in what I say and do, even more, they're going to hate me because I represent Jesus. So um, the 12 apostles, uh, I'm subtracting Judas because he commits suicide in about a day. Um, the other 11, and then they pick Matthias, you remember in Acts, but then they also, God picks Paul. Remember that? So there's in a way 13. All of them except John died martyrs deaths. Okay, they died because they were Christians, not they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and there was a mall shooting. They died specifically because they were believers. 
the church tradition, who knows if it's true, is that John, we know John was exiled to the island, island of Patmos. Do you remember that? Where God could get him alone and give him, get a pen, John. I'm going to give you the book of Revelation. You got a lot of ink and he's going to write the whole book of Revelation because he's got a captive audience where he is. But before that, church tradition has it that they boiled John in oil and he didn't die. And they were so blown away, they went, uh, just put him on some island, just get rid of him. Is it true? I don't know. But that's church tradition. Um, later, we're going to get a hot tub in here with some oil and see if it works now. Okay, just kidding. Um, verse 19. He gives more about the hatred now. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Notice this. I have chosen you, keyword, out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So there's the world philosophy, right? What's the world philosophy? I'll give you some, at least Western world, American philosophy unsaved philosophy. He who dies with the most toys wins. Go for all the gusto you can. I'm a self-made man. All of these things, you've heard them, right? I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Remember those commercials? All of that is worldly philosophy. Christianity says the opposite. If you belong to the world, if you would just go along with it, look the other way at all the sin that you have such a hard time with in movies and TV and what's going on in the world, and just go along and be politically correct and shut up, then the world would like you. But the problem is we can't do that. We obey his commands, right? Around unbelievers, your presence is convicting. Did you know that? Because you're not doing the sinful things they are, especially, I find, my old friends with whom I did all that sinful behavior, and I still see them every two or three years, and they expect me to still be that guy from 1975, and I'm not that guy anymore. And so it's convicting. You can tell there's distance now in the relationship. Good, right? Um, if we belong to the world, it would love us as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. Notice you didn't make the choice. I have chosen you out of the world. You say, but yeah, but I'm, I'm still in the world. I drive on the freeways and I go to the stores and I have a TV. And listen, if I told you, I want you to make me a list, where can I learn all the worldly anti-God philosophy. That's what I want to see. Where would you send me? TV, most TV, right? Movies, most popular music, most of the internet, right? I could learn all that stuff. Okay, so that's one little group of stuff. Okay, where could, I, or maybe we could say bars and where people are getting drunk, go to the skid row where there's drugs going on. Okay, where could I, on the other hand, learn, let's say I'm new to this country, I know nothing about Jesus or anything. Where could I, I want to immerse myself in the Christian worldview. Where would you send me? And Ken's holding up his Bible. Very good. First place is the word of God, 
right? You could say Christian radio. You got to be a little discerning there. There's some weird programs. Most of it's really good, though, uh, at least on the station here, 99.9 FM. Um, where else? Church. Again, is it a Bible-believing church that preaches the Bible um, unashamedly? Bible studies, hopefully one like this, but maybe not. Okay, so there's the two. Did you get those two dispensaries? Over here, they're dispensing garbage, right? Over here, they're dispensing truth. How are you doing in your ratio? Because we, we're in the world, so we're going to occasionally see that stuff on television or in a movie or... We're getting to the point where we turn stuff off. I don't even want to see that. We're, ah, we're let's watch the movie. Oh, that's not, we're, we're getting to the point where we're getting to be like prudes. I'll tell you the truth. Um, very important. Why? Because he chose us, listen, out of the world. You know what we're supposed to be? In it, but not of it, right? I went and saw my pastor this is years ago, um, Pastor Dr. Roy Kraft from Twin, Lake Church, Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz once because I was performing in nightclubs and I had become a Christian and there was drinking all around me and I would occasionally have a few beers, you know, kind of thing. And he said, he gave me this analogy. He said, imagine that you're in a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. I said, okay. And he said, boy, that's a lot of water all around you. I said, yeah, but you're dry in the boat. I said, yes. He said, as long as you stay dry in the boat, you're doing good. But if the boat springs a leak and, you, and enough water gets in the boat, what happens? The boat and you become part of the ocean. So that's the whole in it, but not of it kind of thing. Um, eventually, I stopped drinking in public completely at nightclubs because I had a woman tell me, you know, that's not really a good Christian witness. Well, I'm not drunk. Yeah, I know, but you just look like you're part of the whole, be in it, but not of it, be distinct, be different. The word holy means set apart, different. God is ultimately holy. He is so set apart from sin, he can't even look upon sin. Um, that's verse may come up later if we get time. Okay. We digress. Um, so there's great persecution coming 11 of the 12, at least 12 of the 13 get killed of these guys because they are believers. Thank God in this country, they're not killing Christians primarily. There are countries where they find out you have a Bible, you're a Christian, you go to prison, they might cut your head off right now today. Listen, Interestingly, the persecution that has occurred in Christianity, you may not know this, throughout history, the majority of the time it has come from, listen, religion persecuting Christianity. Other religions, sometimes within Christianity, persecution, the Catholics and the Protestants, all of that with shooting each other and all that, only in the 20th century is where it changed. And this is interesting. In the 20th century, that's the 1900s, in that century, more Christians were killed, martyred, than in all the other centuries put together. And they weren't killed mainly from religious persecution. It was governmental persecution, primarily the communists and Hitler, but mostly 
um, the communists in the Soviet Union and what have you. Um, and that's what's happening today. It's mostly governments, although there's Islam, you know, Muslim countries where they'll cut your head off for having a Bible. Okay. Um, yeah, if you belong to the world, it would love you. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you, because they know you're one of his, and they don't like that. Remember what I told you, verse 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and I'm the master, they will persecute you because of the connection, and you're my servant. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. Okay, what's he saying there? A servant's not greater than his master. So last time he said that, it happens twice in the, this gospel, um, is when he was washing their feet. A servant isn't greater. You guys are my servants. He's saying, I'm washing your feet. So since you're not greater than me, you guys ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to be at least as humble as I am. Now he's saying it in a different sense. A servant's not greater than his master. He means because you're attached to me, if they persecuted me, a sinless, perfect human being, expect it. They're going to persecute you. The question is, and I'll just leave it open as a rhetorical question for you on Zoom and you here, if you and I, and we haven't yet for the most part, you may have been ridiculed because you're a Christian, but primarily nobody's rounding up Christians and killing them. Could it happen in this country? Yes, I believe it could. If it gets that crazy, okay, and we're public enemy number one, what's your and my reaction going to be? And if you think you know, you might be wrong. Peter thought he knew, Lord, I will never deny you. Aren't you one of Jesus? No, I don't even know the guy. Remember that? It was a few hours later. It's incredible. <clears throat> we don't know. My own belief is that the Holy Spirit will give us the strength we need for that moment. There's a story that um, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it a lot in Nazi Germany. There were Christians who were hiding and protecting Jews from the Nazis. You with me so far? And there was a little group of Christians meeting sort of underground. In came a couple of guys with machine guns. They came in, scared the pants off these people, locked the door and said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of you? And they all said, yeah. We do. And the guys put the guns down and said, good. We don't want to worship with half-hearted, wimpy, my own language, I'm updating the story. Christians, we want the real thing. We're Christians too. Imagine if they had said, oh, I, in the story it said, that I've heard, it says, they said, anybody who wants to leave right now, leave. And no one left. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit gives you the strength, the faith. All the disciples, the apostles said, yeah, go ahead and kill me. I believe in the Lord Jesus. It's pretty amazing. Um, okay. But the last thing is good news at the end of 20. Do you see it there? If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. Why? What that implies is it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same teaching. And if they obeyed Jesus, when they hear your teaching, which is the same, the same Holy Spirit that's in them will make the bells go off. Yeah, this is the truth. I'll obey that same teaching. Kind of a cool thing. Verse 21. 
they will treat you this way, meaning persecution, because of my name or who I am. That's what that means. For they do not know the one who sent me. Who's that? God the Father, right? That verse is saying that even if they say they do know God, it is absolutely an impossibility to say, I know God, I love God, I hate Jesus. Impossible. Impossible. Because they're the same, right? In terms of the teaching, there's no argument between Jesus and the Father. God tells, God the Father tells Jesus everything to say, and he says it. So, what he's saying there is they're going to treat you all this way because of me, because of my name. They don't know God. Okay, now it's going to get even a little crazier. Um, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Um, before we go there, I just noticed something in 21 I meant to say. Um, they don't know the one who sent me. In other words, they don't know God. Have you talked to people, have you noticed, especially in America, you talk about Christ and I teach Bible study uh, or I go to ch this church and I'm a Christian now. And, oh, good. Yeah. I believe in God. Like that's enough. Like I believe there's a God. Is that enough? Oh, I pray. Is that enough? Who are you praying to? Who is the God you believe in? And do you love him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't pray that much. I don't go to church. I have my own way of worshiping. Eh, red flag for me, right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10. Okay, so who is your God? First Corinthians talks about another Jesus, another gospel. There's many, right? Listen, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are. Tell me what you believe. Well, I believe that Father God and Mother God had many offspring, and one of them, Jesus, whose brother was Satan, um, there was some jealousy there, and so that's why Satan rebelled, and what am I talking about? Mormon theology. That's what it is. Mother God and Father God had some kids, and you can be God, and so can I, because I'm a man, sorry girls, on your own planet, men, Mormon theology. They believe in Jesus, do they? Or is it a different Jesus? Okay, how about this guy? Yes, they've got a little place down the street here uh, on School Road. I believe in Jesus. Okay, yeah. Huh. Um, well, who is he? Well, he's not God. He's the Archangel Michael. Oh, really? I don't see that in my Bible. Well, we've changed the Bible to fit what we believe. We had Greek scholars do it. Were they really Greek scholars? Well, no. Or Hebrew scholars? No. Um, we don't believe in hell. That's Jehovah's Witnesses. Did you figure it out already? Um, and our organization, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, has never made a mistake. Okay, but didn't they predict Jesus would come back in 1879, 1914, 1925, 1929? Do I need to keep going? Well, yes, but they corrected those errors. Are those people Christians? Are the other ones? Who is your Jesus? Who is the God of the Bible? Um, well, how do we know? It's an opinion thing. No, it's the Bible, right? That's the final court of arbitration.
Okay. I beat you up enough on that one. Um, they don't know the one who sent me. Okay, here's verse 22, and then we're going to take our, our two-minute break. If I had not come, verse 22, if I hadn't come and spoken to them, this is a weird verse, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Okay, here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean if I hadn't spoken to these people that, I, that Jesus has spoken to, he doesn't mean if I never existed, they would be sinless. That's not what he means. There's a specific, sorry, sin that he's talking about here, okay? This is a principle in the Bible about light, spiritual light. Here's the principle. You are responsible for the light you've been given. You barely know anything about Jesus. Yeah, I, I really don't, but I believe what I've heard. Okay, you've been in church for 70 years and have learned a lot. You have more responsibility now because you've been taught, okay? You've heard more of the truth. There are three lights in the, in the book of Romans. The first two, everybody has. They all start with C. Romans 1, the light of creation. It's clear there's a God because of creation. People know. Second light, Romans 2, the light of C, conscience. In built into every human being is a right from wrong meter, if you will. Sin enough, though, and you start to not hear your conscience anymore. It becomes a much smaller voice. Respond to those two C's. You might see the third C, which is Romans 3, Christ. Don't respond to conscience. Don't respond to creation and seeing there's a God. Very unlikely you're going to find Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit can grab you and pull you, and you never know. But we're responsible for the light we've been given. Go back to verse 22. Jesus has come and spoken to them. They've seen the miracles. He's talking about the Jewish people. They've seen, the, heard the wisdom from Christ. They've seen him raise people from the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, walk on water. They have no excuse. But especially, they have centuries of having the Old Testament, God's word, and all of those miracles and all of that wisdom and all the predictions about a Messiah person, whoever he may be, that's going to be born of a virgin and born in Bethlehem and be pierced in his hands and his feet, betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, rise from the dead. He'll be sinless. He'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. They had that and a thousand other scriptures they should have known. He's saying now they are really culpable and there's coming for them huge punishment because they said, nah, we don't want this guy. And they should have known it was him. We'll talk more about that in a second. Let's take our two minute break. I'm going to turn off my screen and mic, but I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. Those of you that are here, find your seats, if you will. And we'll get started again. Find your seats back there. Thank you. Um, let's see. We're still in John 15, verse 22. So they have no excuse because they, uh, yes, I did it. Thank you. Um, they have no excuse because they had the Old Testament. On the break, Ken just said to me, he's reading through the minor prophets, the shorter books at the end of the Old Testament. He read in Zechariah, I think it's 9.9. Behold, Israel, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. 
here comes Jesus, a guy that's done all these miracles. You'd think they'd go, hmm. The same book, by the way, Zechariah, um, I think it's 12, um, talks about him being betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver and the silver being thrown in the temple and used to buy a potter's field. It's exactly what happened. Just a lucky guess on God's part, right? Not really. The last thing I want to say about verse 22 is, um, let's see. Now they have no excuse for their sin. These people and uh, that reject Christ will be judged more harshly. Listen, this is scriptural. There are degrees of punishment in hell, just as there are degrees of reward in heaven. Um, some will be judged more harshly because they should have known. Uh, they had that scripture and many, many others. Uh, we are supposed to be shining that light outward, reflecting God's glory and Christ's beauty and all of that. Okay, verse 22, we covered that. Now they have no excuse for their sin. I know what I want to do. Go to Romans chapter one. So from John, take a right, go two books to the right. Romans chapter one. This is the chapter we talked about, which is the first light of sea creation. Uh, let's see in the gospel. Verse 18, Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who notice suppress the truth in their wickedness. Since verse 19, look at this. What may be known about God is plain to them. Nobody can say, you know, you never revealed yourself to me, God. No wonder I didn't know about you. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How has he done that, Paul? Verse 20. For since the what? Creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? has been made, meaning the trees, the babies, the puppies, the clouds, the rivers, the streams. This planet is, it screams, creator, hello, designer. Have you ever heard the analogy that you're walking through a forest and you come around a big tree and there sitting in the middle of the forest is a 747, says American Airlines on it. And the guy you're with says, you know, maybe over millions of years, this plane just formed. Or maybe there was like a tornado in a parts factory 100 miles away, and the parts just came together. In the, how stupid are you, right? Um, design requires a designer. Okay, we're not here to talk about creation. Um, Look at verse 21. I'm still in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they became, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. He's talking about all the idols and all of that. Okay. Just wanted to throw that in at no extra charge. Go back to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15 with me, if you will. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. 
Like I said earlier, it's a restatement. There's no way you could say, I don't want Jesus. I just believe in God. You, no man can get to God because there's that big wall of sin that separates you from a holy God. Only Christ broke through that wall because he paid the price. Those that believe now have the fellowship with God again. Without that, there's no believing in God without believing in Jesus. Translation, someone that says they believe in God but not Jesus is wrong. They don't really love God, know God. They have probably got out their little Lego set and made their own God the way they wanted him, right? Who wouldn't judge me for those things I'm doing. He's the, that's the God, my God. We got to be careful that we know the real God as revealed in the Bible. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else had, no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they've seen, and yet they've hated both me and my father. Do you see the two things? What was this verse all about? His works, the miracles, right? He's about to rise from the dead in a few days. The other verse, uh, 22, if I had not come and spoken to them. That's really more about his words, Jesus's words and his works. They should have seen the two things. Listen, his words and his works have something in common. What is it? They're the words of God and the works of God. That's what they have in common. What he's able to do, calm storms, recreate paralyzed legs into legs that move, eyes that with no vision into eyes that see, recreate life in a body that's dead. That's the stuff of God. God is the one that has life in him. They should have said, those are the works of God. They should have heard his words and understood these are the words of God. But if they didn't know God, it didn't ring true to them. Okay. Verse 20. So those works, they're culpable because they're responsible for the light they've been given. As I said, once you get the light, you're supposed to shine it out, reflect it to others. They hated me and my father. Now, if you talk to the Jews at that time that didn't believe in Jesus, they would say, oh, that's not true. We love God. We just hate him. He's saying, I am the one that perfectly reveals the father. Hebrews 1 says it. John 1 verse 18 says it. No one has seen God. The one and only from the father has revealed him. You want to know what God's like? I keep saying this because that's the whole theme of this gospel. Who is Jesus? Look at Jesus and you'll see the character of God. So verse 25, notice the verse before it. They hated me and my father. Verse 25, this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me without a cause. This is Old Testament the person that wrote that was David, and it really happened to him. But uh, in Psalm, oh, it's somewhere in my notes, um, 69, David is hated without reason. But that Psalm, that whole Psalm is about the Messiah as well. What's your point, Joe? Just this. If David, who was a fallible human being and a sinner and far from perfect, you know his character, right? If they hated him without a reason, how much more are they going to hate the son of David, who is literally the perfect human being who never sinned? They're really going to hate Jesus. Why would they hate Jesus? He's going to explain that a little more. The reason is because what he, he calls out their sin. 
right? Especially religious hypocrisy. He really comes down hard on the Pharisees, if you know the Gospels. Um, okay, so um, in these verses, 24 and 25, this whole section, don't miss that there's um, sort of a negative and a positive, okay? For every bummer, for every bit of bad news he gives them, he gives them good news. Watch. Um, first of all, verse 18 to 21, the world's going to hate you. Oh, bad news. Chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, Jesus loves them. The world will hate them. Jesus loves them. The world's going to be characterized by hate toward Christianity. Christians are supposed to be characterized by love for other people. Okay. Uh, and he, Jesus loves them and he calls them his friends. Uh, chapter 16, verse 2, he's going to tell them you might face death because you're a Christian. But John 3, 16, Jesus gives eternal life, which negates the death. He tells them they're going to have trouble in the world, verse 18. But Jesus gives them his peace and joy, chapter 14 and chapter 16 uh, and 15. They'll be excommunicated, we're going to read in the next chapter. But he chose them out of the world to be in a different body than the, the temple of Judaism and what have you. Okay, verse 26. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. And those of you on Zoom, I see those hands going up. Richard, I see you, buddy. All right, and, and Jim right below you in Florida. Okay, at least on my screen. Anyway, verse 26, when the advocate comes, is another name for the... Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate. In a sense, it's our attorney. We'll get to that in a second. When the advocate comes, whom I, Jesus, will send to you from the Father. Did you see the Trinity there? Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father. Holy Spirit is sent uh, by Jesus from the Father. The Spirit of truth. That's the whole essence of who the Holy Spirit is. Absolute truth no error no lies so when the holy spirit comes who he's going to send from the father the spirit of truth who goes out or proceeds from the father he will testify about me what he's saying in a kind of a veiled fashion is you've seen me you guys for three and a half years you've heard me for that much time you know me we're close but believe me there's a lot more to know about me that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal after I'm gone. That's what he's saying. And their growth their, of knowledge expands unbelievably in the book of Acts. They really start to get it when they really don't hear that much. So the Holy Spirit's going to come. What's going on right now? Do these guys believe? Yes. Strongly? No. How do you know? They all split. They all deny him. They all go their own way for a little while, right? Once they, these same guys get the Holy Spirit, read the book of Acts, starting in chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter, the I denied him three times guy, preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved like that because Peter suddenly took a speech class wrong because the Holy Spirit starts speaking through him words that just blossom with meaning and power he never had before so he's going to send the holy spirit from the father it's all truth 
that comes from the Father. He's going to testify about Jesus. Have you noticed this? God the Father, we're talking Trinity now, God the Father has a name, a, a proper name, like Ken or Joe or anybody, right? What's his name? Old Testament, Yahweh. If you're transliterating it from the Greek, Jehovah. Okay, the Messiah, that's a title like the Father is. Father has a name, Yahweh. Messiah has a name, Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua. Okay, that's Jesus in Hebrew. Have you noticed? The Holy Spirit does not have a personal name. It's not Harry, the Holy Spirit, or Henry, or it's the Holy Spirit. Why is that? He's somehow less. No, fully God. What does he do again? He will testify about me. Listen, in the same way, do you remember John the Baptist says about Jesus? He must increase, I must decrease. I am so far below him, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. He is it. It's all about him. Follow him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Remember John the Baptist? It's all about him. It's not about me. He must increase, I must decrease. Holy Spirit's the same way. So if you go to a church where it's all about the Holy Spirit and yeah, Jesus, God, yeah, that's good. Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to focus the light away from himself onto the, Holy, onto the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good lesson for you and me. Focus the light away from me, away from you, back at Jesus. Remember, if you were here for the sermon on Sunday, most of you slept through it. But if you were awake, um, it was all about deflecting compliments, right? You did a good job. It's God working in me, which it is, right? It's not phony uh, humility. Okay, back to the text. The Holy Spirit is going to change the ball game completely. These 11 guys are going to turn their world upside down. Within a few hundred years, Christianity will... Christianity will be the official religion of the Roman Empire. That's astounding because the Roman Empire is who cuts Paul's head off under Nero. Okay, the Holy Spirit uh, is the absolute reason we can do what we do because it's God living inside of each person that believes. So you and I take the Holy Spirit you take God with you everywhere you go. It's an astounding thing. The Holy Spirit, we're going to learn more about what he does and doesn't do, but he makes this Bible come alive for you. He's a louder conscience to tell you, don't do that. Don't be thinking that. Um, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The Holy Spirit guides and leads us. Have you ever talked to somebody about the Lord and just you almost felt like a spectator? I often feel like a spectator in this Bible study. I know that sounds weird. I prepare, but things come out of my mouth that sometimes it's, I'm so sure it's the Holy Spirit. I'm going, well, that was pretty good. And I know it wasn't me. I'm not that smart. Um, glory to God, not me. Okay, so he's going to testify about Jesus. If you get a word from the Holy Spirit supernaturally about how great angels are, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. He testifies about angels. No, about Jesus. If you get a word from the Holy Spirit that you are totally holy and awesome, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. 
right? He's constantly moving that spotlight back onto Jesus. Verse 25, uh, no, sorry, verse 27. And you also must testify for you've been with me from the beginning. But what he's saying is, if that sounds like a daunting task, oh no, I, I don't even like public speaking or even talking to somebody about Jesus. Please pick somebody else. He says you, and he means you as well as the 11, must testify, must witness. What's great about this? He gives you the equipment. What equipment? The Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words. It's amazing. Most of you have experienced it. Probably all of you have. Um, you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. What does that mean? He, that means that primarily this verse is for the 11 guys in that room. They've been with him from the beginning of his ministry. You and I haven't. But the principle is the same. Elsewhere, we're told we are to witness for Christ. We're to testify. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. So we're not off the hook by any means, but we have the same, listen, Holy Spirit that was in Peter when he preached that sermon. Same one. It's not a lesser version, a smaller junior Holy Spirit, an, an I mini, like an iPod, you know, a mini Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit, folks. Well, then why do some people do so much better with the witnessing than others? And some people are so much better at obeying God than others. And why, why, why? Listen, we're not all the same. To the extent that you and I, you know, Judy has the Holy Spirit. She's a believer. I'm a believer. I have the Holy Spirit. But if I am constantly battling the Holy Spirit for control of my life and not submitting to him, but rebelling, if I'm constantly sinning and then apologizing and sinning and then apologizing, and she's not, she's just obeying him and praying, and her life's going to be way more fruitful than mine. There's no question. Was it the same Holy Spirit? Yes. But Judy's different than me. She's much more submissive to God than I am. Then no wonder she's bearing more fruit than I am. Um, if you have any questions, call Judy. Okay. Don't sit close to the front. That's what happens. Um, okay. So that we must testify. Okay. Chapter 16. Are you still awake? Say amen. We still have time. Good. I see you're waving there. Okay. Chapter 16 is Jesus still, it's all red letter, pretty much Jesus teaching, especially about the Holy Spirit. Verse one, all this I've told you so that you will not apostatize. That's really what the word means. Fall away, stumble, scandalize is another Greek word, same meaning. What do you mean? I mean, I've told you all this so you won't be surprised. What persecution? What? He died? He's gone? We're alone? Uh, the world hates us? I'm telling all you this and all, all of this for a reason. So you won't stumble. You'll go to each other because you're going to love each other and be united. You know what, Ma Matthew? He told us this would happen. Everybody hates me now. He told me. We were supposed to expect this, right? I've told you this so that you won't fall away. It's interesting that in the end times, it's one of the Thessalonian books. I think it's Second Thessalonians talks about in the end times preceding the return of christ there's two things the second one is the coming of the antichrist a world leader indwelt by satan who will for the first time one man will control the whole world never happened before 
and he won't be good for obvious reasons, right? And he'll really hate Christians. But before that, there's something else. It's the apostasia. You say, is that the falling away word? Yes. Falling away means, in the, the meaning of the word is, from a previously held belief, you let go of it. I'm falling away from that. It's a picture of a church with 320 people attending who, after some time, maybe after some persecution, some disappointment, I don't know, but that church ends up at 90 people. How many was it before? 320. What is it now? 90. Why? Some people fell away. Oh, they lost their salvation. The eternal life became not eternal. No, they never had it. They were fake Judas Christians. They were in church saying all the right things. You and I may live to see this happen, and it might shock you who it might be. People that you thought, I was sure she was, he was, you never know. Keep our eyes on Jesus, but there's going to be a falling away predicted at the end of the world. Um, okay, I've told you this so you won't fall away. Who's he talking to? The 11 guys. What do they have in common? They're all Jewish. Why does that matter? Because they, since they were babies, they grew up with, you go to the synagogue where you live. Synagogue is like a small version of the temple, a place of worship for Jews. But on big holidays, you got to go to the main temple in Jerusalem. But if you live in Galilee, you don't go all the way every Saturday for Sabbath. You don't go all the way to the temple. You go to the local synagogue. You with me so far? Since they were little, they grew up with the, we go to the synagogue, the Pharisees, the rabbis teach us. Verse two, they will put you out of the synagogue, excommunicate you, kick you out. In fact, the time's coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Okay, this is another of about eight bombshells he's dropped on them. You know the synagogue, the place you go? You're not going to be able to go there anymore. By the time John writes this at the end of the first century in the 90 AD-ish range, the synagogues, most of them, had a written curse on the Nazarenes. Do you know who that is? Christians. To let them know, you're not welcome here. We don't believe what you believe. Get lost. We've excommunicated all of you. It's exactly what happened. They will put you out of the synagogue. This is a shock to these Jewish guys. They know he's the Jewish Messiah. We can go to the synagogue. And for a time, they do. Paul goes first to the Jews in every town. They usually beat him up and throw him out. And then he goes to the Gentiles. If you read the book of Acts, they will put you out of the synagogue. That's bad enough for them, Jewish males. The time's coming when anyone who kills you is going to do that thinking they're doing God's work, offering a service to God. In other words, Jewish people, the religious persecution, remember I told you for 1800, 1900 years, it was religious persecution against Christianity. 20th century, 1900s, it was political. It was the atheists. Um, regimes like communism. Okay. If they kill you, they'll think they're offering a service to God. Do you remember, are you old enough to remember Jim Jones, the cult leader guy? He led 900 some people to Guyana where they literally drank poison Kool-Aid and they all died purposely. Remember that? 
total horrible cultic leader. Do you remember David Koresh? Dangerous cultic leader. There are many others we could name. Jews of that time saw Christians like that. You're all David Koresh's. You're all Jim Jones. You're, you've, you've perverted the faith. We're the true people of God. We're the Jews. They didn't see the connection. They thought Christianity was a new religion. Listen, Christianity completes Judaism. Judaism is like a joke without a punchline. It's a bad way to put it, but it's true. Or a story without a happy ending. Let's put it that way. They're still waiting for the Messiah. And he never showed up except he did 2,000 years ago, and they missed it, right? They see Christians as the enemy. Look at Paul in chapter 8 and 9 of the book of Acts. He's going around doing exactly this. I'm, I'm a zealous Christian. I'm, an, I'm a, sorry, I'm a zealous Jew. I'm going to find these Christians, these David Koresh uh, nutcases, and kill them. They're ruining Judaism until God who chose him and knocked him off his horse, said, hey, stop. Why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul. Remember? He thought he was getting high fives in heaven every time he had somebody arrested. When Stephen got stoned, not in the 1960s way, when he got killed with rocks, okay, for those of you that <laughs> need it explained, when Stephen was killed, Paul's there holding the coats. Hey, I'll hold your coat so you can nail this guy. Approving of it all. Doing exactly what verse 2 predicts. Because Jesus is not only priest, not only king, not only Messiah, not only Lord and God. He's a prophet. He's predicting for them. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They did. There's a time coming, and it came pretty quick. Anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Could that happen in america maybe now no who knows things are getting pretty crazy aren't they folks don't get me started on that so all this is bad news until you remember oh wait all this i've told you so that you won't fall away if anything He's turning it on its head. He's saying, listen, there's going to be persecution. They're going to think they're doing God's service when they're killing you. When that happens, I want your faith to get stronger for it to be exhilarating to you that like, wow, just like he said, that means we're really his and he chose us. They hate us and they're coming after us. It's sort of a stamp of authenticity for your faith. One last thing. In that sort of an era, I'm going to guess that some will get persecuted more than others. Why do you think that is? Oh, they're just weird. They're just jerks. No, listen. If Joyce and her friend Joyce, makes it easy to remember your names, are going out preaching Jesus in that era, and Joe is at home behind the locked doors, peering out his window, so afraid he doesn't even go to the store anymore. Guess who's going to get more persecuted? Right? Joyce and Joyce. Do you know why? Because they're putting it out there. Despite the, they're, they're not given a spirit of fear, right? That's what the Bible says. They're out there preaching anyway. They know this must mean the end is near. They're killing Christians again. They're out there preaching it. They're not afraid. Joe's 
scared in his house, goes outside with a dark glasses on, hoping nobody will know who he is. Hope not, but we'll see. Verse three, they will do such things because they don't know God or me. They have not known the father. They've not known me. They think they know me. They think they're offering service to God. Did you notice that? Paul, when he was doing that, he was basically a Christian bounty hunter, a Jewish guy seeking out Christians to catch them and kill them or put them in prison, right? When he was doing that, he was so sure he knew God. According to this verse, did he? No, he didn't. He met God. It's so weird because he was an expert. Paul was, a, was perhaps the smartest man of his time. He was trained by a guy named Gamaliel, who was a legendary rabbi that only took very few students. And he took Paul under his wing. He taught Paul the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Okay? With all that knowledge, he didn't even know God until he met him on the road to Damascus when Jesus spoke to him. It's an astounding thing. They'll do such things that they don't know the Father, they don't know me. Verse 4, I've told you this so that when their time comes, their time, those people that are going to do that persecuting, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. What does that mean? It means this. He didn't bother telling them this then because all the persecution came on Jesus, not on Peter, not on Andrew, not on Philip. It was all on him. Plus, Jesus, being God, was protecting them. None of them died. You remember that? It's astounding in the arrest of Jesus that Peter gets a sword, remember, and chops off the ear of the high priest. That is an assault crime. Peter should have been arrested with Jesus. Did you ever think of that? Well, Jesus made it right. He healed the ear. Still, still a crime. Jesus, being God, sovereign, makes sure only me. Let him go. And they do, right? They all escape. It's pretty amazing. If you were going to arrest a cult leader, wouldn't you arrest these 11 jerks that are his followers? They all get away. He didn't have to protect them then. That's why he says, I didn't tell you this from the beginning. Maybe he didn't want to bum them out too, but um, because I was with you. They hate that. Hate what? Was. There it is again. You're going away? But now, verse 5, I am going to him who sent me. Notice he doesn't say I'm going to heaven, He's, which he is, but he says I'm going to him, a place. No, a person. I'm going to him, God the Father. I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Okay, what about that? This is an interesting verse. Didn't Peter ask him? Yes. Didn't um, Thomas ask him? Yes. Turn back to chapter 13, 36. Um, I'm in the wrong book. I'm still in Romans. John 13. Jesus says, verse 36, Lord, uh, sorry, Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then he tells him he's going to deny him. Do you see that? 
Well, is Jesus wrong? He says, nobody's asking me about where I'm going. Okay, now go into chapter 14, where Thomas, verse 5, he says in verse 4, Jesus does, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, verse 5 says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. You see that? So they did ask him. Now reread verse 5 of chapter 16. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? In other words, he's going to such an amazing place, heaven, with God. Okay? Think of it that way. Haven't they asked him about that? Yes and no. What was the spirit or the motive for them asking him? It was all about us, us 11. Wait, where are you going? I want to go with you. What's going to happen to us? We don't know the way. They're not really asking, wait, you're going where? To the one who sent me. Tell us about that. They ought to be unbelievably curious. If he's going back to him, then he knows all about that whole realm, that whole dimension, if you will. The, none of you asks me. Where are you going? Rather, verse six, it's all about you guys. You're filled with grief because I've said these things. He's about to tell them it's better for them. We'll do that next week, but we're just about out of time. Um, questions or comments, you can email me if you like, or a prayer request or whatever you have. Um, we will meet for a few more weeks. I haven't decided if we're stopping. I think the Tuesdays are 14, 7, 14, and 21 in December. I think we'll go through the 21st, but I'll let you know ahead of time. Um, if, we, if we stop meeting, we'll stop Zoom as well, just letting you guys on Zoom know. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll get out of here. Thank you, Father, for these um, amazing lessons. We get to eavesdrop and hear Jesus just talk with the ones that love him and believe in him, God. The fact that you, God, the God of the universe, call us your friends, your children, your sheep, that's so amazing, God. What an amazing privilege. Thank you that, uh, that you love us and call us your friends and tell us what's going to happen ahead of time, at least to some degree. Thank you that despite the persecution and the hatred that we might get from the unsaved world, we have the Holy Spirit, we have you with us, inside of us, leading us, watching over us, protecting us. Mold us into the image of your son, God, so that we'll be ready if that starts happening. In the meantime, use us anywhere we are to be bold and witness for you, Father, and testify like the Holy Spirit does. We know you'll give us the words. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone that you don't know. That's really important. Those of you on Zoom, thank you for being here. See you next time. God bless.